0: Well, following uh, Dan, wow, wasn't that great? That guy lives an exciting life, doesn't he? Men, if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 1, please. (coughs) While you're going there, let me just say, this morning... We're going to consider some essential truths that we must embrace if we're going to be equipped to live a Jesus-like life. The Apostle Peter, as he penned 2 Peter, tells us that he's anticipating his own personal death, and he wanted to review some essentials of the faith. He said that you already know. But he says, when I'm gone, I want you to be sure that you remember them. So this morning, we're going to review some things that you fellows already know. So, if you're at John 1, chapter 1, I'm just going to read the verse, four verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend him. Now let me go back, and I'm going to read that again. Follow along, if you will. And I'm going to replace every time that... Jesus is referred to in these verses. I'm going to replace the name Jesus, okay? In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Jesus, and apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. and The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend Him. In Him is life, and the life was the light of men. In Jesus was life, and Jesus was the light of men. We've heard some stories of that already, haven't we? Today, you and I can say with full faith confidence that real life is only found in Jesus Christ. Having said that, let me just read for you a couple of definitions of the word life out of dictionaries. Oxford Dictionary. Now grab a hold of this. This is exciting. Life is the ability to breathe grow, produce young, that people, animals, and plants have before they die and that objects do do not have. Does that excite you? Yeah. A couple of ways they use it. This could mean the difference between life and death. Hmm. The body was cold and showed no signs of life. Something missing there, isn't there? Cambridge Dictionary. Life is the period between death, birth and death, the experience of the state of being alive. How's that? Any substance in that? (laughs) Life's too short to worry about money. (laughs) Unfortunately, accidents are part of life. Then I think it's where's the purpose? Where's the hope? Where's the meaning in life? Men, we need to remember. I need to remember. That's where we were before Christ. We didn't understand it, but that's where we were. I think Dan reminded us this morning that, fellas, that's where our unbelieving friends are, our acquaintances, that's where they're living today. Hmm. Let me ask rhetorically of myself do I have an urgency with the gospel? Hmm. This morning we're going to consider four major tenets of the Christian life. Authority is the reality of life. Judgment is the core of life. Faith and fear are the means to life. And love is the goal of life. If I may, may I pray please. Father, uh, unless you come and do what you want to do, uh, we're just going to waste our time. So please, please come. Come. And may it be everything is said and thought and done, may be your will for your pleasure and for your glory. In Christ's name. Amen. All righty. So let's get started. Authority is the reality of life. Going to state the obvious, guys. But God the Almighty is authority. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Genesis 1 1 says it all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's God's world, isn't it? Mm <laughs> hmm. God has a template of authority for all of life. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of woman. God is the head of Christ. Hmm. All authority is conferred from God. Let's remember that. All authority is conferred from God. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. We need to grab, particularly in our day and age, we need to grab a hold of this. It's probably a review, but review never hurts. All right, Romans 13, follow along. I'm going to read the first four verses. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. Do you hear what he said? There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Huh. Even Mr. Putin? Hmm. All authority. Hmm. No authority is except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. But do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and you will have praise from the same. All governments are established by God. Hmm. Let me give you some other examples where God has conferred authority. We just read Romans 13, government is the head of every person, husband the head of the wife. Can you see that in the back, guys, or not? Can you read it? Yeah, okay, good, okay. Parents are the head of the children. I think we need to be reminded of that. Masters are the head of the slaves. Elders, the head of the congregation. And Hebrews tells us that the Christians are to obey their spiritual leaders. Hmm. So all authority is conferred. Therefore, any resistance to authority is resistance against God. Hmm. Wow. Think about that. If a wife resists her husband's authority, she is in reality resisting God. And she has her problems, not with her husband, her problems with God. Hmm. The only exception of disobeying authority is if the authority requires the Christian to disobey the commandments of God. And up to this point we live in a country that as far as I know at least I've never been asked by my government to violate the commandments of God. Now the government does things that violate the But that's a whole different thing, unless we need to keep that clear in our minds. Therefore, bottom line, we never have a problem with another person. Our problem is always with God. Hmm. Therefore, all sin is against God. King David reiterated that in Psalm 51. He was reviewing with, his, with God in Psalm 51 his fiasco with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. And he's reviewing this with God and King David had it in focus. He says, King David says to God, he says, Against thee and thee only I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. And he's referring to his adultery and murder. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And then he goes on. Notice what he says. So that thou art justified when thou dost speak, And blameless when thou dost judge. David's saying, God, my sin is against you and you only. And any time there's sin against you, there has to be judgment. And so whatever you decide is the right consequences for my sin, God, you're going to be exactly right.
1: Hmm.
0: violation to authority always results in God's judgment. Hmm. And God is authority. So, notice that, as I've already pointed out, King David now has segued us segued us into the second tenet that we have of judgment. So, let me just stop there. If there's any comments, thoughts, I wanted to bring you a real uplifting message this morning, fellas. <laughs> but it's reality, isn't it? And if we're going to have the peace, and if we're going to have the rest of our soul as Jesus promises us, We've got to then live under his authority, don't we?
2: So, I just have a quick question. Um, when you were talking earlier about um, saying the only exception to submitting to authority is when um, there's an order from the authority to violate, uh, you know, Christian belief. The c- so, commandments. Yeah, the commandments, yes. Um, so. My question was um not just for myself but for some others that I that I know in my personal life is how how do you um kind of discern yourself from like what the government does for its well the authority does for its benefit versus the command that it does for us so like if I know you mentioned that you you made the comment that sometimes you know the authority doesn't always operate you know in vi- well the authority is sometimes in violation of uh, God's commandments but how do you how do you like discern between the, the authority of doing the violation and then ordering us to do the violation, if that makes any sense.
0: Well, let me give you an example. Let's talk about abortion. Cause that's, that's a hot potato right now. The government says sanctions, abortion, in some sense in its laws. All right. But to my knowledge, it does not force require anyone to have an abortion. So it doesn't require us to break the commandment. So so I obey the government. Even though... See, God set up the government to keep keep, uh, some kind of semblance of order in society. But He knew he knew that the government isn't going to be perfect, and you know why? Because there's a bunch of knotheads like us running it. In fact, I wish some of us us knotheads were in Washington and some of those guys were somewhere else. But that's a whole different story. Yeah. And so we don't we're never gonna have perfect justice this side. There's only two places, fellas, you're gonna find perfect justice. Only two places perfect justice. One is at the cross and the other one is at hell. Now take your pick. And anywhere else I'll guarantee you, you're not gonna have perfect justice and so don't spend our time trying to find justice other than the cross. Because it's a waste of time and it's a it'll get you off focus for what God, and Chris uh, Craig talked about last night, it'll get you off focus in terms of living out your purpose. Because then your faith will not be in in the scriptures. Your faith will be in your in your culture. What do I mean by that? You guys ever OD on news? <laughs> Yeah, come on, come on. And then what happens? Anxiety? Fear? Perplexed? Anger? Yeah. Well, that's when your faith's in the the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we, I don't know whether I answered your question or not. I try to just kind of go around the circles till you just give up and sit down.
1: <laughs> uh, real quick, Winston, with the, with the verse you have up here in the comment just about David and, and kind of who he sinned against, do you mind just taking a second and um, talking about why is David's sin only against God and not in this case against Uriah?
0: Because all sin is against God. Period. It's just the way it is. It's God's world. So anytime you violate, anytime you violate God's justice or righteousness, you have violated his world, you have violated who he is, and that will bring the wrath of God every time. You look at me with a blank stare, like, "What is this guy talking about?"
1: <laughs> maybe maybe. maybe uh, I, I could clarify a little bit. So, so we, we sinned against God. Um, I think a lot of people would look at the situation and say, "Well, he also he, he wronged Uriah."
0: Right. No no question about it. No question about it. Yeah.
1: So the so the difference is the, the the sin versus the wrong. David's talking specifically in this verse about who he sinned
2: against, not who he wronged.
0: Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Whew. No more questions. We gotta keep going. All right, the judgment is the core of life. See, I'm going to repeat myself here, but King David realized that authority and judgment are intrinsically related. Anytime God's authority is violated, His judgment is required. King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, came to the same conclusion as King David. The book of Ecclesiastes is a purview of all of life lived without God taking on an active part. Then at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us a conclusion of how to live life. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it's evil. Hmm. Solomon understood. That's the bottom line. Any time God's authority is violated, there is going to be judgment. Paul affirms that in the same way in 2 Corinthians 5. i got Corinthians. That should have a 2 in the front of it. I just noticed that. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That means Christians, non-Christians, all people. All people. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Hmm. And men, that judgment... We're going to be judged and then we're going to live in eternity with the consequences of how we live this life. Let me repeat that. All of us are going to be judged and we're going to live with those consequences in eternity. There is eternal accountability for how we live this life, men. So the stakes are high. Therefore, heaven and hell are not the same for everyone. In the last chap- very last chapter of Revelation, Jesus, about five, six verses before the end of the book, Jesus reminds us of this very truth when he says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Hmm. Wow. I don't know about you, when I ponder that, I don't know what my eternity is going to look like, in heaven, but uh, it's going to be influenced, my heaven's going to be influenced by how I live this life. That makes me kind of perk up and want to maybe pay attention, huh? Yeah. Hmm. That's why I said we're going to be reviewing some things because the Bible is replete with that with that truth, but uh, I don't hear it taught a lot, not taught enough, I think, because it really does uh, if we really understand it, believe it, it's going it's going to affect us and how we live in a positive way, isn't it? yeah. Questions? Come on, I, I was kidding about If you have a question, come ahead. Because Jerry's in the back, and I always refer to him. So I'm, I've got my, my fall back. All right, OK. All right, let's go. Then let's talk about the third tenet that we talked about. Let's talk about how faith and fear are the means to true life. And remember, life is in Christ. Okay, faith and fear. Hmm. What is true life? Well, Jesus says in John fourteen six, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." And no man comes to the Father except by me. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ is true life, and without him, we read those definitions out of a dictionary. There's not much to it. True life, just for maybe some of you, maybe, maybe not. True life in Jesus Christ is found in putting our faith in the person of him, Jesus Christ, and the gospel. Putting our faith in God through Christ means we surrender our will to his authority. We heard a testimony today, didn't we? Right along those lines. Man will surrender his will to authority when he fears possible consequences of judgment. That's where fear comes in. For example, I know you guys can't relate to this, but I'm sorry, that's the one I picked. Man's driving down the speed the freeway, and he's driving way over the speed limit, and he sees a speed trap up above, ahead of him. Tell me, fear doesn't come affecting. And he hits the brakes, doesn't he? Yeah. Hmm. Fear motivates. There is no fear, there is no authority without fear. Hmm. Now, remember, who's our authority? God. Let's talk about this a minute. God's authority, but without fear, there is no authority. And without accountability, there is no fear. And without consequences, there is no fear and there is no authority. Hmm. Fellas, we see it in spades today. How about our sanctuary cities? <laughs> there's no authority, is there? Why? There's no fear because there's no there's no consequences. There's no accountability. They just they don't even let them out on cash bail, they just let them out. And guess what? There's no authority there. It's nothing but chaos, isn't it? You ever seen as much of wreckage? Huh. Men, it's the same way with us with God. Before we focus too much on that, let's, let's look at our own lives. Do I really believe that God is love? Bible says God is love. First John 4. Bible also says God is wrath. Do you think that God is as wrathful as he is loving? That's who he is. So he's just as wrathful as he is loving, just depending upon what the occasion requires. Because we cannot violate the character of God, and not the, and there not be consequences. If we violate his authority, then there's going to be judgment, wrath. If we violate his righteousness, there's going to be judgment and wrath. And then it's important for us to understand that because if we don't, we will not have fear. And then, guess what? Our authority is going to be something other than God's. And the Bible will be something other than our authority without fear. And we have a church today, there's exceptions, that pick and choose what they want to believe out of a church, out of the Bible I should say, I'm sorry. And when they do that, what they've done is they've decided they'll be the authority. And that's no different than the the guys in the sanctuary cities have decided they'll be the final authority. And so you have chaos. When's the last time you heard a sermon on hell or judgment? What I'm talking about. Have you ever heard one? Paul talks about One of the things he did is he says, I teach the whole counsel of God. What he meant was, I teach the love, the grace, and the mercy of God, and I teach the wrath, the judgment of God. The whole counsel. Hmm. Do you
1: know
0: there's something God can't do? Hebrews tells us he can't lie. See, he cannot violate his own character. Isn't that amazing? But what we're talking about here is if we violate if we violate his character, then there's going to be then there's going to be accountability and there's going to be consequences. Therefore, we better fear him and treat his authority properly so we can evade, evade the accountability and the consequences. Hmm. See, a professing Christian that says he does not fear God is saying that his dominant faith or hope is in someone or something other than God. Do you hear me? A professing Christian that says he does not fear God is saying that his dominant faith or hope is in something or someone other than God. Because men, Hope, hope is an integral part of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So you cannot separate faith and hope. Hope determines what the faith is going to move toward. It determines the object of our faith. And you will always, all men, will always fear in the direction of their hope or their faith. Let me illustrate it. Let's say we have a wealthy man. And he hopes in his wealth. Now you tell me what he fears. Sure he does. He fears losing it, doesn't he? you'll always fear in the direction of your hope. So it's natural. It's natural for us if our hope, our faith is in God through Christ. And we hope because of the gain, don't we? And we fear because of the possible loss. and we've been shorted, generally speaking, by not having the whole, if you would, as Paul says, the whole counsel of God preached. So we, and what happens if we don't have this concept of God's wrath, this truth, I should say, of His wrath and judgment, and all we have is a concept of God's love and, and grace and mercy, which, oh my gosh, thank God for it, whoo! Then what happens is we'll begin to presume on God. Well, it won't make any difference. It won't make any difference if I don't. It won't make any difference if I don't. It won't make any difference if I do this. The hell it won't. Let me stop there. Let me just say, let me just, in in that part, and then we'll go to the, the finishing part. Any professing Christian that does not fear God will create havoc, at best, in his relationship with Christ, and will have no biblical basis of assurance that he is even a Christian. I'm going to repeat that. That's so important, guys. Any professing Christian that does not fear God will create havoc at best in his relationship with Christ and will have no biblical basis for assurance that he's even a Christian. And I hope you fellows know that there is no certainty in faith. (laughs) You cannot be certain you're a Christian. Now God's very generous for the obedient that you can have assurance. And the longer you walk with him in, in, in obedience, that assurance maybe even feels like certainty. But it's very simple. Think about this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What does hope deal with? Tell me. Future, doesn't it? You guys certain about the future? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Are you certain about things unseen? No. And all of us live by faith, don't we? The atheist lives by faith. God has created his world to where all men live by faith. It's just a matter of what you're going to put your faith in. Therefore. But if we don't understand the whole counsel of God, we'll begin to presume upon God. Hmm. And we'll begin to think, well, I'm saved by grace, not of works, therefore, I'm certain, therefore, I can do whatever I want and I'm still going to go to heaven. That's a lie straight out of the Okay, thoughts? Well, I say this humbly, men, but I think I've done a good job of exercising my spiritual gift of ambiguity. It is sobering, though, isn't it? It makes you really think. It really sobered me up as I was thinking through this and getting ready to be with you men. Yeah. Made me take some personal inventory. Yeah. See the flip side of this thing, though. Man, when we're walking in unison with Jesus, the longer you walk and the more you learn to walk, the sweeter it gets, guys. Sweeter it gets. Man. You begin to get a taste of it, and nothing else satisfies. Nothing. The psalmist says, as for me the nearness of God is my good. Hmm. He'd gotten a taste of it. The nearness of God is my good. Well, let's go over the last one. Let's let's talk about that some then. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, thanks. I didn't want to interrupt you. Um so probably from being here over the last couple of years, I have constantly lived in this tension of wanting to be obedient, but not being legalistic. Having grace and love for somebody who's being disobedient. Um, and, 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 and there's just this tension that exists. And I don't know, it's existed within me for years, because I want to be obedient. But we know that legalism and putting pressure on people uh, will push them away. I don't know if you can speak to that tension of love and grace versus obedience and fear it just feels like it's a tightrope and and, and it just there's I was asking myself the other day I was listening to John Eldridge and he said in your prayer time confess to God what your biggest fear is and then let God into that fear and my biggest fear is in the end not pleasing him And not hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Or the scariest verse in scripture is, Depart from me, I never knew you. And living in this tension is tough when you have loved ones that do whatever they
0: want. I know.
3: And and I don't I don't know how to handle this. Stay there.
0: Stay there for a minute. Well, first of all, let me just tell you, brethren, I don't know you, but you're just fine. In that same psalm, he says the sacrifice of God is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You're just fine. But let's talk about it in a minute. Let me ask you a question to clarify your question. Is when you say that, who's your audience is it the believer or the non-believer you're talking about cuz we got a we got to make a distinction between those two yeah so put me on one trail or the other
3: it's uh, you know i don't i don't hold a non-believer accountable to the things of scripture but if somebody goes to church and and they're raising their hands on sunday morning praising the creator and then doing what they want throughout the week in disobedience it's it's hard to Okay. Reconcile
0: this. All right. So, all right. You clarified one thing. Let's, ju- let's just review that for a moment. For the non-believer, for the non-believer, 1 Corinthians 5 tells us we are not to judge them. We're not to judge them because they haven't committed to anything. Oh, we're to love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And serve them, but don't judge them. But it sounds to me like your your concern is over on the Christian side. Yes, sir. Okay. Two yes, sir. things. If we've got brothers and sisters that we've got relationships with, okay, some kind of relationship with, and they are in deliberate practicing sin, In other words, it's a lifestyle. Then the Bible's very clear. But I can tell you the first thing I do with someone like that is I just go with them, tell them, and I just say, listen, uh, I'm really concerned for you. And then I will bring out well, grab your Bible. Let's just let's look at let's look at a passage. Let's go with us. Let's go over to First Corinthians. Let's see, that's New Testament, I think. First Corinthians six. All right, once you get up there, you you can be a reader. 1 Corinthians 6, and he's going to read along. So what I'll say to them is... 6. Mm-hmm. All right, and what I'll say to them, listen, I've got some scripture I want to share with you because I'm really concerned for you. And so I will have them read the Scripture. I won't read I'll have them. So why don't you start reading in verse 9. And why don't you read through
3: t- 9 and 10. I'm going I'm to read this and then I have a, a question. That's fine. Yeah. You're
0: gonna, you can come, We'll come back to you any question you have. I appreciate let's it. Let's just read this for okay. all of us.
3: Um, so 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Uh, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived.
0: No, hold on just a minute. Did you Read that again. Did yes, you hear what he said, fellas?
3: Yeah. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God such were some of you no
0: let's let's stop right there yes sir okay so i have him read that and i say listen as i look at your lifestyle it looks like i'm concerned for you cuz it says you will not inherit the kingdom of god galatians 5 says the same thing ephesians 4 says the same thing and i say I don't know whether you're a Christian or not. I'm not here to judge you. But I'm telling you, I'm concerned for you. Because the Bible says, if that's your practice, you're gonna go to hell. And I leave it there. Now, if they continue on, then there's the whole instruction of church discipline in Matthew 18, and we won't go there, but that that gives us three steps of where you go to a person first and hopefully you verify that what you think is true and then if they won't, you bring a couple and then you 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 have to break fellowship with them. But this is what I do first, hoping that that'll Because they've probably never heard that. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: What what if you can't even open scripture with them? Maybe they've been hurt by personally hurt by my sin and maybe they haven't been, but what if what if they don't even want to open up scripture with you? Well
0: then there's nothing you can do. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Jesus said, "Jesus said, when he when he, remember he sent out he sent out the he sent the guys out, and he said, go and be at peace with people. And if they won't be at peace with you, knock the dust off your feet and go on. If people if you can't if people won't don't want to be helped, then uh, you keep praying for them. You love them how you can, but you know it's their call."
3: what if it's a spouse
0: now you're getting complicated (laughs) Yeah. yeah that's a tough one but she if she's a professing believer, if she's a professing believer, then you've got to got to love her enough to bring her to account. Thank you. I'm sorry my brother. Really sorry. Any thoughts on that? Men, it's interesting that Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says very clearly, don't judge the non-believer, but we judge those that are in the body because he says a little leaven, a little yeast, will affect the whole loaf. And that's what's happened to our church. The church does just the opposite. They judge, they want to judge the non-believer, which is self-righteousness, and they refuse to judge within the body, and so the body has become polluted. Just the opposite.
1: I'll beat you to it. This is probably going to a little bit of application, but I'll give you permission to do application too. Um, With uh, how do you reconcile uh, whether it be, um, I guess, issues put forth by society or the government as far as like uh, lifestyles or things that are not biblical, whether it be, um, homosexuality or abortion, even for that matter, and you know, the judgment of non-believers, because you know, God did put our government in place. but at what point do you, as a believer try to impact uh, through political means or otherwise, you know the 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 way that we as Christians should be living? Does that make sense?
0: Well, I hear you. I hear you. Let me ask you a question. As you read through the Gospels, the four Gospels, and it's really kind of gives us account of Jesus and how he handled things when he was here, right? We together? Okay. They were living under the rule of the Roman Empire, which wasn't a very nice empire and they had a large percent of their population was in slavery. Now, take me to the scripture where Jesus ever once gave any thought to changing the society.
1: I'm not aware of any.
0: There isn't any. Even with slavery, he says he said he gives instru. Uh, he doesn't, but he doesn't ever take exception with it. And then the apostle comes along and he says, "All right, now you slaves, you you serve your master, and tells them how. And you masters, you treat them right." And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians five seven, he says, "Now." If you come to Christ and you're a slave, then just stay a slave, stay in the condition you are. Now, if you get a chance, way well, get out of it, but don't make it a life endeavor. Does that answer your question?
1: I think so. Would you would you say it's misdirected when you know uh, uh, you know call it the the conservative right in politics is trying to you know. Uh,
0: well, let me ask dictate you. Dictate uh, how uh,
1: other people live when it might not okay. even impact right. you or let, let
0: me ask you. That. I, ask, I ask right up front. Have you guys ever OD'd on news? And we all kind of chuckled and knew we were all been there. What did that do to our walk with Christ? I feel like it distracted us. Sure it did. You have your answer. Leave it alone. Our purpose is the gospel, e squared. That's it. The Bible, and pursue our walk with God.
1: Do you think the influence through government or politics as a Christian is is, uh, and this is a big rabbit hole, but is it is it is it a uh, fruitless or meaning, you know, not meaningless, but is it is a fruitless endeavor in the grand scheme of of li- living the Christian faith as how else
0: do I have to say it, my brother? <laughs> <laughs> Just double-check it. 20 minutes. How much? 20. 20 minutes. Are they Florida minutes or are they Pennsylvania minutes? Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania minutes. All right. I hope I didn't offend you. Then. No, okay. All right. <laughs>
1: I, mean, I
0: probably ask the same question every year. <laughs> well, it's easy to get wrapped up in that thing emotionally. I grant you that. But, guys, that's why we got to stay in the scriptures. We got to keep our prayer life healthy to keep it in focus. Because everything around us, if this is our focus, Everything around us all day long they're reaching up trying to change our lens. And guess what? They, they accomplish some of that every day. And if we don't have our time of prayer and in the scriptures and in fellowship with like-minded believers to get that thing adjusted back, we're, we're going to be just like the culture. And we're going to lose our joy and our peace and our patience. And shame on us. Twenty minutes, all right. I've never done anything in twenty minutes in my life. So. All right, let's go to the fourth tenet. Whew, we finally got around to love. Love is the goal of life. The Apostle, writes, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, 1.5, he says, The goal of our instruction is love. With a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith, Paul says the goal of our instruction. Everything Paul, the apostle, said he was going to do. All of his instruction was toward love. Jesus says the two greatest commandments. We already heard that. Love God. Love people. How do you love God? Hm. Turn with me to John fourteen. All right, John fourteen, twenty one. The question in the house is, how do we love God? Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. Hmm. We love God by obeying his commandments. But did you hear what he said? The benefits, the upside guys? He who loves me will keep my commandments and I will love him. And will disclose myself to him. See men, that's why we get into the scriptures, to know God. And Christianity is the only, I don't want to call it a religion, we're, we're a community is what we are. It's the only community that's based upon God revealing himself to us. It's a community of revelation. God revealing himself. And the great, the great, we got the Old Testament, but the great one is the incarnation of Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. And So there's no greater privilege for a Christian than to have God disclose himself to us in new and fresh ways. Did you ever have that happen? You're reading the scriptures. Maybe you've read them, read the same thing 50 times. And all of a sudden it comes to life. Wow. I call it an aha moment. God's revealing himself in a new and a fresh way. And by the way, he'll only do that for the obedient Christian. That's what he says. The prerequisite is he who keeps my commandments and keeps. He who knows my commandments and keeps them. See, it doesn't get any better than that. Our part of him revealing himself to us is obedience. Now, while you're in there in John 14, let's just drop down two verses to verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He kind of repeats himself, doesn't he? And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Wow. He says, if you would just keep my commandments. He said, I'll not only disclose myself to you, but God the Father will love you. And the Father and I will come, and we'll make our abode with you we'll have that intimate relationship that your soul screams for. Beyond your imagination. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, and in chapter 3, he has a prayer for the Ephesians. And he makes an interesting, the end of, part of his, end of his prayer, he makes an interesting part of his prayer, he says he asks for the Ephesians and of course he's asking for us too that you may know the love of Christ but then he says something that really caught my eye that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge Wow see intellectually fellas By our own reason. God's love is beyond what he's saying. Beyond our reason, our intellect. It's in the the soul area. It's at the soul, the spirit level. It's where we really, really are who we really are that you may know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may come to the fullness of God and that's what God is after he's wanting us, he's preparing us now for eternity to develop this intimacy with Him, this love relationship that is beyond our comprehension. Boy, the upside is too great to let it pass, man, in this life. We'd be a fool. To jeopardize it. Or limit it. Yeah. See the greatest experience a person can have. Is to have God the Father and Jesus Christ. To love us and make their abode with us. In a supernatural love intimate relationship. That is the epitome of love. To know God is agape love. Hmm. Think about that a moment. Hmm. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Corinthians, chapter four. long as I read first Corinthians chapter second Corinthians did I say first or second? Second Corinthians is man. Chapter four. I'm gonna start reading verse sixteen. A couple of verses Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying. Well that's a true fact, isn't it? Listen to this, though. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's what we're talking about here, fellas. For a momentary light affliction. well, Some of it doesn't seem so light, does it? For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. In other words, we have no idea what God is doing, what he's doing within us, changing us permanently to Christ-likeness. If we we'll just follow him, obey. See, the inner man, here he says, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. The inner man is a man's soul his spirit, his soul of the Christian that is under control by the Holy Spirit. And when we let the Holy Spirit, by obedience, have his way in our lives, then he begins to change us in a mystical way at the soul level. Hmm. He says that the eternal weight of glory is happening with us. Is the Holy Spirit gradually weaving a mosaic of Christ-likeness permanently on our soul, in our inner man? That's going to extend into eternity, fellas. See, Christ-likeness is love. God is love, isn't he? So Christ-likeness is love. You're right there in 2 Corinthians. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3. I've got to hurry or they're going to pull the plug. They've got a trap door here and then you just disappear. So. 2 Corinthians 3. Let me read this. I'm going to start at 17 and 18. Paul says the same kind of thing. I just want to reinforce this so you can go back and look at it on your own. He says in 3.17, 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Did you hear that? There's liberty, fellas. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Here we go again. Instead of renewing, he says transformed. Are being transformed into the same image. What image? The image of Christ from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. See, notice, we as Christians are being transformed into the same image as Christ by the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within every believer. Let us remind ourselves that Jesus is God and God is love. Therefore, the Christian gradually not only obeys God. Grab a hold of this. The Christian gradually not only obeys God to love him, but by inward work of the Holy Spirit becomes godly love. I got a big five here. That's better than a big one. Hmm. That was real spiritual, wasn't it? In order for the Holy Spirit to bring this transformation about in a Christian, there must be total surrender to the will of the Holy Spirit. Without total submission to the will of Jesus, the process is hindered. And men, the gravity of the eternal loss for the believer in eternity is beyond imagination. Hmm. Hmm. No man can afford to resist the will of Jesus. Well, there we have it. The goal of life is love. And God is love. Let me see. I'm going to skip through some. The goal of life is love. Jesus Christ is life, Jesus Christ is love, Jesus Christ is the life of love. Let me pray. Father, oh God, we need your grace. Please, please, please help us. Starting with me. If there's anything in my life that's a hindrance to your dear Holy Spirit, having total freedom to change me, to renew my soul, to fall deeper and deeper in love with you. I pray the same for all my brothers here. Help us to just fall deeper and deeper in love with you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.